Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Justice Magic, Damien Keller, binaural production engineer, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in contributing to this show, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Kathleen Martin. And for those of you who don't know who she is, she is the niece of Betty and Barney Hill and co-author of the book Captured with Stanton Friedman. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you for having me. It's nice to see you again. Yeah, thank you. And yes, you. that was my first of six books <laughs> yeah. you mentioned. And my late co-author, who I thoroughly enjoyed working with for nearly 14 years. He just <laughs> had very good energy. That's fantastic. So I've been doing a lot of um, experience or episodes this week, month. So I figure kind of continue along that line. And you have written a couple of books for experiencers. I believe one was for like for coping with experiences and some on, um, you know, the actual experiences themselves. Yes. Um, so, you know, I again, know that you're maybe we'll just kind of review some of your, your work with MUFON first and how you got in. Well, actually, you know, your aunt and uncle, then MUFON. We'll talk a little bit about that to give my listeners sort of an intro and how you got into this field. Okay. Well, to begin with, I was 13 years old when my aunt and uncle Betty and Barney Hill had their uh, close encounter with a UFO in upstate New Hampshire. And, uh, my uncle had conscious recall of observing what he described as uh, entities that were somehow not human, dressed in black, shiny uniforms. On the craft, um, they heard a series of buzzing sounds striking the trunk of the car. They, they lost a couple of hours' time and found themselves on a new section of road. And there was physical evidence, and there was also a traumatic response by my uncle, who was referred to a renowned psychiatrist for uh, therapy. And uh, he used and had developed a special technique of deep trance hypnosis to work with people who had physiological symptoms as a result of trauma. And Barney had been hospitalized with bleeding ulcers and high blood pressure and, and was in poor health. Uh, as the result of this incredible experience that he and my aunt had. He didn't want to believe that this had happened, but he knew it did. He had been a confirmed skeptic prior to this occurrence, and I think that that's part of what uh, caused him to become so distressed over all of this, plus the physical evidence. And I think that my, my aunt just had a different kind of past, a different history. She was more open-minded. She knew that my mother had seen a craft in 1958 with a group of people. 
It was large. It was like a mothership and had smaller craft flying around it. Barney didn't believe it was possible. Betty believed it might be. Mm-hmm. And so when they had this experience, um, Betty ended up having a series of dreams that ended up being somewhat similar to the dreams, but very different. When I did my comparative analysis of Betty's and Barney's statements under hypnosis with Dr. Simon, I didn't say that Betty went to Dr. Simon with Barney Mm -hmm. and told him that she would like to be hypnotized too. So the two of them uh, were seen separately, uh, and Dr. Simon reinstated amnesia at the end of each session, so they couldn't share information. Very, very interesting story for me, uh, a little bit frightening when I was a child, but uh, it sort of sent me on the path that I'm on right now. I grew up, uh, you know, I went to college. I started out in psychiatric social work. I was an educator. But in 1990, all of that changed. I developed a debilitating disease that was miraculously cured in 2012. Um, Interesting story there as well. And maybe we can talk about that in a little while. Yeah, I'd love to hear that story. I haven't heard that one. I wanted to find out more about my aunt and uncle's experience. I wanted to see all of the evidence. I wanted to transcribe the hypnosis tapes. And my wish was granted. Mm -hmm. Betty was willing to share all of those archival records with me. In fact, she made me the trustee of her estate and those records. And uh, I investigated that. I joined the Mutual UFO Network in 1991, trained to become a field investigator and use those skills and the research skills that I had learned in graduate school to uh, do my own investigation and research on this case. And I was writing about it. And finally, I had a fairly long manuscript when I thought about, well, you know, I should publish this, but I know absolutely nothing about publishing a book. And, uh, but, and I do not want to do my own investigation of Marjorie Fish, a brilliant woman from Ohio's uh, investigation of the stars on a map that Betty saw on the craft and yeah. grew under hypnosis. But Stanton Friedman, who had an excellent reputation as a nuclear physicist, as a scientific ufologist, knew all of this information. In fact, he was the scientist who was called in to interview Marjorie Fish and to find scientists to vet her work for accuracy. And it ended up being accurate. And so Stanton promoted that. He was the first to publish on Marjorie's work. And he was the first, the the best person for me to talk to. I spoke to him at a MUFON UFO conference symposium in Denver, and uh, he spent a few days with my husband and myself in New Hampshire reviewing my files and my manuscript, and then told me that he would join me uh, in writing this book that ended up being published in 2007. 
I, in the interim between 1991 and 2007, I had uh, been MUFON's director of uh, field investigator training. And I stepped down from that uh, in order to complete the, the book and the promotion of the book. And then I went on, beginning in 2011, I accepted a position from MUFON as their director of uh, ex the Experiencer Research Team. And I did that for 10 years and stepped down last spring uh, from that position because I was promoting the second edition <laughs> of Captured, the 60th anniversary edition with updated scientific information and new data that I didn't have when I wrote the first one. So I was uh, speaking with people on radio shows and podcasts almost every day of the week and sometimes two in one day. <laughs> um, <laughs> just really busy. Plus, my husband was in the hospital with sepsis and was very, very ill. And I was running the family businesses at that time, too. <laughs> Just too much work to continue with that job. So now I'm uh, a, a consultant mm -hmm. to MUFON's Experiencer Resource Team is what it's called now. Wow. Awesome. Um, yeah. So with so, well, one of the things that I like about the Betty and Barney Hill is like one of the – they're probably like one of the first and most popular um, – abduction tales stories out there that have been you know were you know that that's definitely it's it's, it's valid you know they didn't want the attention you know especially it seems like from after reading captured barney definitely did not want the attention from or Absolutely. be associated with the phenomenon itself but he sort of got sucked into it but one of the things that i learned from reading your that book too that i didn't know was all the involvement with the United States Air Force that kind of got involved in there too? So, I think to me that that adds. Um, I don't one like the government was interested, and they probably already knew something about it. Oh, they absolutely did. Um, Stanton and I wrote a book uh, called "Flying Saucers." Um, Oh, fact fiction and flying saucers. <laughs> Sorry for the little brain. Happens to me all the time. But um, yes, <laughs> fact fiction and flying saucers is our research. We uh, years of archival research on the history of government involvement in the investigation of UFOs, their findings, their decision to cover up those findings, and who was involved in the cover up. So, absolutely. Uh, the Air Force was interested secretly. Uh, they had looked at this very seriously, had done a number of studies. In fact, in 1952, when Project Blue Book began, Captain Edward Ruppelt, who was the director, had uh, spoken in a book that he wrote later on about a uh, research project that they did, which was highly scientific. A chi-square quality analysis was done. They had 1,593 cases at that point out of, uh, I think it was 4,400 they mm -hmm. had collected. 
1,594 cases that they uh, decided to, to study in depth. They wanted to categorize them in prosaic categories such as birds or conventional aircraft or uh, stars, meteorological phenomena, the psychological sighting, a hoax, that sort of thing. And then they had a separate category of those that they could not explain as being anything from our planet. And in the end of this study, 26.94% of those cases were true unknowns, which is quite significant yeah. statistically. And the chance that the unknowns were just missed knowns was less than 1%. They did another study in and in finished in 1955 at the prestigious Battelle Memorial Institute. And they did the same thing that they had done uh, for the 1952 study, via previous studies, um, dividing them into categories in this there were 3,100 cases. Uh, very significant, largest study ever done, uh, uh, 3,201 cases. Somehow today, <laughs> I'm writing a book. <laughs> and so I've been concentrating on that all morning. <laughs> so pardon uh, this brain cramp, but anyway. Uh, highly significant study, uh, the largest study ever done on UFOs, and 21.5% uh, of those cases were true unknowns. So uh, the government has a long-term interest in this, secret studies. Uh, we've learned uh, in 2017 about a secret study mm -hmm. that was done at the Pentagon over a number of years more recently and uh, video uh, of uh, radar video was released and you probably know about the tic tac and, <laughs> um, the other off the west coast and also video off the east coast of your typical like, discs and their have also been uh, rectangular objects with like a ball in the center and and fuzzy little balls, uh, sort of what they called Foo Fighters during World War II. Mm -hmm. Also, and the the interest of the Navy in all of this in this uh, scientific study that we now know about, and uh, it is fascinating. I'm so happy that the government is now involved in this. And I learned recently on a show that I did um, that the government uh, has come to the same conclusion that I have come to uh, in my three major research studies on about 5,000 experiences. Hmm. So uh, that is pretty exciting to me that uh, the government has confirmed my information. <laughs> what was the uh, the uh, what did you find? Like, what was the agreement there? Well, the agreement is that uh, this has consciousness. Yeah. Uh, for example, uh, during the naval maneuvers off uh, the coast of San Diego, mm -hmm. uh, 
the there had been no uh, directive ahead of time of what was going to come next. Only a few people knew where these uh, pilots and, and the aircraft carrier were going to move to next. But the ETs knew and arrived there before the Navy did. <laughs> the, the pilots said that the craft, that these ET crafts seemed to know uh, what they were thinking, even ahead of their actions. And then they observed one craft that hovered at 80,000 feet in the air, descended vertically to 20,000 feet in a second, and then descended to 50 feet over the churn of the ocean and bounced back and forth over, like a ping pong ball, over a larger uh, object in the water below, uh, seemed to be communicating with it. And uh, I find all of this very fascinating. Other things that they noticed is uh, involves orbs. They, their first study was actually done at the Skinwalker Ranch right. in Utah, uh, where there has been all sorts of UFO activity, cattle mutilations, uh, uh, orbs seen, paranormal events, uh, ghosts, that sort of thing seen as well. And what I recently learned is that the scientists and government officials who went there to the ranch ended up taking home what they call hitchhikers. And those hitchhikers are sort of energetic. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you want to call them entities or what it is, but it's energy that attaches to them. And they carry it to their homes. And then the whole family starts to wake up during the night with these dark figures standing over them. They have poltergeist activity that's never been in their house before, but now it is. They see light orbs in their home. And uh, some of them have been hit and, and actually harmed by these light orbs. I don't, I've never known of light orb, orbs that harmed people that burned people, but I certainly experiences, uh, vast majority have seen these, what appear to be conscious orbs in their homes. Uh, the poltergeist activity is common among experiencers. Uh, the presence of invisible non-humans that experiencers can feel as a strong like electrical tingling sensation in their bodies. Uh, sometimes illness uh, such as uh, immune uh, system, autoimmune diseases, dysfunctions of the autoimmune system. And uh, that's very prevalent among experiencers. So I'm, I'm really happy to know that the government is uh, coming out with this information. Uh, and I'm happy that I found it before they did. <laughs> <laughs> so earlier you mentioned about healing. And I've interviewed a couple of people that have had UFO encounters and have ended up, you know, healed or or even left with the ability to heal. Um, 
other people, which is absolutely incredible. And I, you know, one one of them was a a guest, and like, and I will say, like, I was going through a really bad time when I was talking to him, and afterwards, I felt like so much better. You know, it's like oh. he, he healed me somehow. That's and, and I've never really felt as bad as I had felt that way again. You know, me and him mm-hmm. have stayed in touch. So I think there's definitely, you know, something to that. Like, can you tell me a little bit about your experience? Oh, I'd be happy to. Uh, I, ha- I was debilitated for many, many years um, with waxing and waning uh physiological disease that uh, or condition that was incurable. Uh, they called it uh, reactivating mononucleosis. They called it chronic fatigue and immune dysfunction syndrome. Uh, it began with uh, radiation burns on my upper back, my body, my face, uh, lost some hair. And then I I became sicker and sicker. And in fact, I had to give up my profession because of this debilitating illness. Uh, I, it affected uh, my ability to remember, to recall, to reason, uh, name-finding problems, balance problems, uh, fevers, swollen glands, terrible body aches. Uh, I started to grow cancer in my body after a while. And uh, I thought that it would never end. And certainly after my book was published, uh, the first book, and I began speaking at conferences, it was extraordinarily difficult for me. Uh, I would go to bed early, and I would still uh, return home exhausted and become ill again. And so I was becoming pretty desperate in 2012 when Paul Hamden, uh, an experiencer and medium from Australia, took part in uh, the Marden Stoner uh, study on uh, UFO abduction uh, or UFO abductees. And he took part in that study. And so we spoke over uh, the internet uh, via Skype. And he told me that he thought I had a negative view of all of this and that I shouldn't have that negative view. And he said, I would like to introduce you to an ET that I have been speaking with for a number of years. He is part of a group of ETs, but he is the spokesperson for everyone in this group. And so I said, yes, I would like to speak to them. You know, you never know. Some people are delusional um, and some people are charlatans. And and I was highly skeptical at that point. But I did speak to Keek. I I didn't see him, but I spoke. uh, Paul spoke. He spoke through Paul. And so I asked my questions. And... So that was a very a little strange for me, but Paul and I stayed in touch. And a few months later, he said, well, would you like to speak with Keek again? And I said, yes, I would. And this time when I spoke with him, I said, you know, Keek, I have been ill 
since the early 1990s and for a very long time now. And I am wondering if you can heal me. I, I would like to be healed. And I heard him say, oh, another sick human. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we went on, you know, at my, at, I asked my questions and, and things like that. He didn't answer me. So I thought that nothing would happen. But three or four nights later, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was in extraordinary pain, just deep, deep pain in my body. In fact, I wondered if I was dying. I woke my husband up and said, Charlie, I think you're going to have to take me to the hospital. And he said, well, just give it a few minutes and see if it subsides or let me know if I need to take you or call an ambulance. So I'm giving it a few minutes. It's, it is not subsiding. But the next thing I know, I'm in a new environment. I'm lying on a table, which is sort of like a gurney, and uh, it's kind of a hazy but light environment. I can see two figures that are much taller than the table. It's impossible for me to know how tall they were because I was only lying down on my back. I could see them from my peripheral vision, and they were glowing and seemed just very rounded and smooth. And they, uh, they heard me talk about my pain, could they relieve the pain? And they told me telepathically that it would be only a short time. And they showed me some kind of a chart. And I still don't know if I was looking at a screen or if this was a hologram or what, but it showed my, the outline of my body. And it showed like little box type things moving through mm -hmm. the periphery. And I had one organ that was highlighted in green and another that was highlighted in pink. And uh, so the next thing I knew after that, I was waking up in the morning and I felt like I was 23 again. Mm -hmm. Not a pain, not an ache in my body. This happened in 2012, and I've never had a recurrence of that disease that I had. Wow, that's awesome. So I'm very grateful to <clears throat> Paul Hamden and those uh, ETs who healed me. Wow. And I certainly lost my fear. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that's part of what they're here to do? Is to help heal. And after that experience, did you did you notice anything different about yourself with any ability to heal others? I already well, let me say, um, going back into the 1980s, um, I was able to do some healing back then, when my little boys were ill or running with fever, uh, I could lay my hands on them, and pray and their fever would be reduced. Uh, I would help other people occasionally when they had some kind of physiological problem. Uh, my Aunt Betty taught me how to do that, Betty Hill. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, 
I, I do have the ability um, to now uh, work with people. I use the quantum healing hypnosis method mm -hmm. developed by Dolores Cannon. And part of that is uh, contacting the person's higher self where all the Akashic records are held and accessing those records and also asking that higher self or that super consciousness uh, to heal that person. I find myself with my arms extended a few feet above that individual, maybe a foot or two, and I can feel a strong tingling sensation coming down through my crown chakra and moving out through my body through my arms and hands as I hold them over the top of the person while I'm asking the higher self to work uh, on the body as I'm doing a body scan uh, with that person uh, auditorily, um, moving down so that, and the higher self tells me when that part of the body is healed and it works. Hmm. So yes, um, the ETs are healing people um, and I have, uh, I believe, uh, an ET presence constantly. Uh, I can feel the tingling sensation. I can feel energy through the crown chakra. Uh, once in a while, I receive a telepathic message, but I'm not really good at it, I have to tell you. <laughs> I wish I could improve those skills or those abilities, but... Uh, I haven't yet, and I've been working on it for quite a mm. long time. <laughs> I was just thinking about what you mentioned about um, the hitchhikers, you know, mm -hmm. attaching themselves to people, and then, you know, after experience or has to experience, you have all these other paranormal things happen. You know, I was almost thinking, like, um, maybe they're not hitchhikers, but what changes is maybe the experiencer's perception is expanded, so they're perceiving things that they weren't able to perceive previous to the experience. There's a, a possibility, I suppose, that that has occurred. I know that experiencers of contact uh, reach a higher level of vibration, mm -hmm. is the way it was explained to yeah. me. Um, and that higher vibratory rate uh, enables us, all uh, experiencers, to uh, perceive things that normal, normal humans can't, or a regular human, let me put mm -hmm. it that way, who has not had contact. Uh, we can see, uh, some of us can see ghosts. Uh, some of us communicate with spirits. Some of us are mediums. Uh, some of us um, uh, can talk with extraterrestrials, uh, all of these wonderful things. We become psychic, we become empathic, which is a psychic sense. Uh, we, come, we become more spiritually oriented. And I think that's part of the, what, you know, at least certain groups of extraterrestrials want for us, is they want to help us raise our consciousness or raise our vib vibratory state. Um, I mean, I'm not yes. sure why, but it, it does seem to be that way. Yes, absolutely. Um, what they have told Kevin Briggs, and I, I took part in an experiment, and I'm, that's the book that I'm working on now. <laughs> it's a 
a book about uh, my life and experiences and and research and and experiments <laughs> and kevin's kevin was an experiment that i was invited uh to assess with a group of researchers we met with kevin once a month uh and we were able to uh ask these this council of eight non-human entities uh questions that we had they taught us about consciousness uh they taught us many many things over a two year period and what they said is that they have been here for a very long time mm -hmm. but we have reached the point in our development where we are endangering ourselves and life on this planet they are concerned because our technological development is out of sync with our spiritual growth and as a result of this we could destroy ourselves they say that it's happened in the past and they're not going to let it happen again if they have to they will intervene but what they are doing quietly uh without disrupting human life uh in in their perception of that uh is to move us ahead on an evolutionary scale and a spiritual scale so that we will be in balance so that we will not be a threat to ourselves and everything living on this planet Well, it's good because I think we need the help. <laughs> we definitely do. <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, and one of the things also, you know, is is more and more people are having these types of experiences or becoming open to these experiences or sharing these experiences. I mean, I might be a little, even a little bit conservative, but I would say like maybe ten percent of the population is having some type of extraterrestrial or paranormal experience now that that's sort of transforming the way they think and perceive reality i haven't thought about the percentage but certainly i know a lot of people <laughs> uh whose uh perception of reality has changed as they have uh become more interested in all of this as as they have moved from uh being right brain uh, left brained uh very logical methodical humans over more into the right brain and this uh engagement of the right brain is what uh seems to be the key to being able to connect with these higher level entities hmm interesting you know and also like like even my own experience you know just You know, I mean, prior to this podcast, I mean, I only had a couple of unexplained events happen. But then I talk to all my guys, and they tell me different things to try. And then I try them, and I find out they work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's like, you know, humans have all these abilities that we don't, or that we forgot how to use, and now we can kind of learn how to use them and practice them. And in that process, it could help us maybe pull ourselves out of this mess. And it seems like that's definitely like part of the goal of these extraterrestrials. I mean, whether you know, I think sometimes too, there's a lot of confusion between 
what is an extraterrestrial and what is a spiritual being and what is a multidimensional being? Um, like, 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 how do you define those differences? Well, I'm aware that uh, we do have spiritual beings as well, both positive and negative, ones that we think of uh, if, if we have a religion as angels and demons, and these angelic types are just higher uh, entities who watch over us, who protect us. And these lower entities might be what they call fallen angels or demons uh, who can attach to people and wreak havoc in their lives, uh, ruin their health, destroy their health. Um, I have worked with two individuals who uh, ended up uh, passing away because they were not able to shake loose of this. And, and it's really very sad. Yeah. Uh, but uh, people who have a lower vibrational frequency, who are filled with anger, pain, fear, uh, people who are alcoholics, people who uh, take opioids. Those are people who are most inclined to pick up these negative entities who feed off them, um, like, like parasites. Um, there is a way to get rid of these. Uh, it can be done over time by consciously uh, raising the vibration through uh, listening to and practicing guided meditations that you can find on YouTube, yeah. for example, um, by becoming a very positive person. Uh, but you can also have, have a shaman or a specially trained minister or priest uh, remove these entities mm -hmm. as well. Um, the key is to change yourself so they don't hop back on you. Um, and with angels, <laughs> anyone would love to have one of these high vibrating angels around them. Um, and then uh, in terms of extraterrestrials, they're just scientifically oriented. When you go to their craft or uh, their base, wherever they are, they're interested in uh, you as a scientific subject. Uh, when I was a teenager and my mother and I were taken for the first time, as far as I could remember consciously, uh, they took a flesh sample from me and I wanted to know what they were doing, why they were doing this. And they told me telepathically that this flesh sample uh, was to determine the level of toxicity in my body. I didn't understand it at the time. But later, I found out that I lived just downwind and downhill from what ended up being a super fun site. Um, we had to be cleaned up but with funds from the federal government mm -hmm. um, because they it was a barrel factory. They were cleaning toxic chemicals 
out of barrels. They were burning it. They were dumping it into the stream that fed the lake, the water underneath my house on shore where I lived as a child. And uh, so I had that toxic chemicals exposure. And not only that, Pease Air Force Base was a nuclear base 20 miles away from my childhood home. And the Portsmouth Naval Shipyard, a nuclear um, submarine base, was across the river from it. So there definitely were toxins in the environment. And they're, they're very concerned about that. They've given me that message more than one time during my lifetime. Hmm. Um, so... Yeah, that's, that's one thing they're concerned about. Uh, and they, I think that probably the program that they have uh, regarding hybridization is just experimentation on how to improve humans initially. Uh, they've also told experiencers that I've worked with that uh, it benefits both them and us. It benefits them because uh, some of them have lost the ability to procreate. Right. Some of right. them, naturally, some of them have lost their emotions mm -hmm. over time. And so they would like to have their emotions back. And I know uh, now many of the experiencers see emotions, sense emotions from these entities. In fact, myself, I have felt the most powerful feeling of love that I have ever experienced in my entire life from them projected toward me. Hmm. It's very interesting how they do that. It is. And so they, they're trying to help all of us, but they're also collecting DNA just uh, for the uh, just for the purpose of preserving it in case we do end up destroying ourselves. Hmm. And you mentioned too that they, they don't they don't they're not going to allow us this time to, to destroy ourselves. They're going to intervene. You know, um, you know, one some of my guests will say that there's this, you know like the prime directive to observe and not interfere type of scenario. Um, I say that too. That's what it is true. They but, don't want to. But they would enter. break it if they have to this time. They would, yeah, they would break it uh, if we were going to destroy this planet. Only if we're going to destroy this planet. Hmm. Um, and you know, they they really don't want to. They they've said that uh, they fear that if they showed themselves in great numbers, that our military forces around the world would interpret this as an invasion and would uh, want to fight against it. Now, ETs are so much more powerful and technologically advanced than we are that they could annihilate us you know, very quickly. They don't want to have to engage militarily with us. That's one thing. They know the impact that they would have on our societies around the world uh, if they intervened. 
that we would be radically changed in our belief system, in the way we function on a day-to-day -day basis. There would people would be people who are very, very fearful, who will not perceive this as a good thing. And so it will fundamentally change life on this planet. They don't want to do that. Hmm. But they want to but, assist. Yeah, them. yeah. It seems like at the same time they're doing it in the most subtle way they could possibly come up with by working with people that are individuals, or or people yes. that are more open to having to to gaining the knowledge and and, and spreading their message. Yes, yes. One time we asked um, how they selected people. And they said that initially it was a random process. Uh, someone might have just been driving down the street at the right time. They might have been camping in a remote area or fishing or hiking. They might have been children on the backlands of the family farm playing. And so they just went down and picked them up. But then when they found the characteristics that they were looking for. They followed these individuals. They picked them up time and time again and also followed the family line. So it's intergenerational. I wonder if once they, once they start working with family members and uh, if they're doing something to altering their consciousness or DNA to make the next generation of family members um, more open to their intervention? Well, think of the indigo children, of mm -hmm. the star children. You hear about them around the world. The researcher from Australia, Mary Rodwell, has uh, talked quite a lot about star children that she has worked with. And they have special characteristics. Uh, some of them have a, what they call a light language. They can speak in a different language uh, among themselves. They uh, are quite capable of healing. And uh, a lot of people believe that they, they call them hybrids um, because they, they, their DNA has essentially been altered. Uh, and I have been told that that alteration is in uh, the DNA that we consider to be junk DNA. Right. So um, they say that they have done this intentionally uh, and every generation they make improvements over the previous one. And these new children are extraordinarily bright. Uh, they're gifted psychically. Uh, some of them can perform uh, telekinetic activities such as uh, turning on a television set without using the remote or turning on a microwave oven without uh, programming it. So they can do these kinds of things. Um, so they have uh, incredible abilities. They're generally well-rounded children, too, mm. but very, very bright. The previous time that humans wiped themselves out, what do you think the reason was for them then not to intervene and now they're willing to? 
you know, I never asked that question. <laughs> I should. I don't want to speculate. I haven't, I haven't the slightest idea. But I, I can tell you something very interesting, and this is in a case that I investigated and did hypnosis uh, with uh, three, well, two, in, two of the three individuals okay. who were involved in it. And um, the entities that uh, came and took two of these three uh, were, looked human. They looked a lot like us, only they were all about six feet tall or a little taller. Um, they were all uh, have, having uh, long, light brown hair, eyes a little bit human, larger than human eyes, um, very well-groomed, very beautiful looking. They said that they had lived on this planet hundreds of thousands of years ago. And there was an environmental collapse. And they had the means and the technology to move on. Most other people did not. Some people remained and survived at a very primitive level. Uh, others who had the, those means traveled through space and found a binary star system. Uh, where it's uh, in twilight most of the time, mm -hmm. this planet. And they've lived there, they've developed their technology. They can now live uh, with this technology to be uh, hundreds of years old. And this group told the experiencer that uh, they are now just traveling through space on a, a large craft and uh, they hop through time and space and they just stop by earth to check up on us uh, on our development uh, they don't take anything from us this particular group and then they just move on until it's time to check on us again Hmm. So, you know, that was interesting to hear. It was sort of confirmation for that information that I was given in that experiment with Kevin Briggs. That is interesting. During one of my interviews this week, uh, the topic of the possibility that our own star system at one time was a binary star system. Oh, that's interesting. So I wonder if there's some type of connection there, like maybe this was a binary star system, something happened, and they had to find another star system that was more similar. Yeah. It's interesting. It is very interesting. I hope that someday <laughs> I can acquire the answer to, yeah. to that question. But, you know, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, um, also, I was interviewing somebody yesterday, and oh, boy, <laughs> sounds like my dog is barking. Um, you know, you know the work of Jack, Zachariah Stitchin and the ancient alien theory in that humans were slaves. Like that, always one of the reasons I never completely bought it is because they were making us slaves, and I always kind of considered these extraterrestrials as benevolent. And her point of view is that they didn't make us slaves, that what they were doing was teaching us how to 
work, how to do things. We were going to school, essentially, and we didn't like it. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty cool idea. It kind of fills in that gap for me. <laughs> Would you it believe does. something like that? Well, let me tell you, um, Paul Hamden, who was the uh, experiencer who facilitated the healing for me, mm -hmm. um, asked me one time if I'd like to uh, speak with an Anunnaki. And I said, okay. <laughs> this was, uh, the Anunnaki were very, very powerful, booming mm -hmm. voices, that sort of thing. And so I asked that question, um, you know, were, did you come here and make human slaves uh, so that we could uh, mine gold for you? And they say, they said, no, <laughs> that is not the case. We did not do that. That's a misperception by humans. So um, that's what I know from based upon that conversation uh -huh. that I had with an Anunnaki. Yeah. It makes sense that that part of it just makes sense. I, I don't. I mean, one well, one of the things that bothers about the um, mining gold is like, I, I'm sure they can get gold much easier than we can digging into a planet. They can probably just there's probably tons of gold out there in, in space, just free for the taking. Oh yes, and they can probably. Uh, extract it much, much more efficiently than we can. Yeah, they don't have to dig it up and um, whatever, they sleuth it and all that type of stuff. Right. <laughs> you know, if anyone was enslaved, they were captured in a human war and subjugated uh, as slaves to mm -hmm. mine gold. Yeah, absolutely. And still are probably today. At least with diamonds, mm -hmm. we know they are. Mm -hmm. Um, the extra, one of the other things that, that fascinates me too, and we talked, touched on it a little bit, is the, is the consciousness and the extraterrestrials. Um, and, you know, like there's people out there who, you know, we, they'll meditate and try to get an extraterrestrial to come to them. And I've tried it and I've had success with it, which was really kind of surprising. <laughs> it caught me off guard. Um, so that leads me to believe that either either we're connected with them somehow, and that's why we can communicate with them telepathically, or just simply that everything in the universe is connected through consciousness, or both. <laughs> Are you an experiencer? I'm not an experiencer, no. One of my guests, yeah. actually it was Preston Dennett, and he, he mm -hmm. you know, I said, well, I've never seen one, I want to see one. You know, he goes, well, yeah. you know, you, try this and, and, and just keep trying it and maybe you'll have an experience so i, I would sit out in my backyard and I, you know like, i just want to see see something i want to see something and yeah. one night i seen something just kind of moving across the sky and over here there was like a, a plane which was obviously a plane so i had a comparison but i still mm -hmm. thought maybe it was a satellite because it was going in a straight direction and then all of a sudden it just stopped and it just took off in the complete opposite direction like uh -huh. really, really like, like ridiculously fast and I was like wow it works okay so it was like a craft not an extraterrestrial standing next yeah to it was it. A, it was a craft okay so you were calling in craft um, what I advise people to do is uh, to 
do exercises that will raise their vibrational frequency. Um, so that by calling in something, you're not calling one of those negative interdimensionals to mm -hmm. you. And I advise anyone to do a chakra uh, meditation where uh, they uh, fill all of the chakras, all of the cells in the body, down the body to the feet uh, with white light pure white light and then form an imaginary sort of bubble around them and fill that with white light that's their pr protection right so that nothing can harm them mentally or physically while they're doing this exercise and then you know that will put you into a higher level of vibration you'll be relaxed feeling positive and then uh, you can try to call in a craft. Did you know that uh, Dr. Stephen Greer has yeah. an app for your cell phone? Yeah, I have it, the CE5. Yes. Yeah, so that's quite nice too, that you're able to purchase that for about $10, I mm -hmm. think it is, and you can use that uh, in your effort to call in craft. It's interesting that they respond. I, I'm just fascinated by that. That they, all you got to do is ask and they'll show up. Mm -hmm. Well, that's terrific. They're, you know, they, I think they're becoming more responsive to uh, kind humans that they know are not going to harm them. Uh, in Peru, there uh, are people who can call in craft and the craft will rise up out of the ocean. Wow. and come in their direction and this has been observed by hundreds of people people in the media i heard about this from uh, a scientist from south america who has uh, his not only is he a medical doctor but he has a phd in psychology mm -hmm. too and uh, people around the world now are meeting in groups uh, to try to call in craft uh, to try to communicate yeah, it's one of the big things that's definitely changing the whole um, UFO phenomenon. You know, it used to be just, you know, maybe a farmer will get lucky and see one and happen to have a camera. You know, now we all have cameras. There's so much more knowledge and so many more people experimenting with this. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it's bound to have some type of long-term effect on our society. Um, and I and I also like the way it changes our view of the past. You know, we, we've like one of the conversations I had recently too is we've always looked at our past, like mythical beings and, and all these things, as um, you know, just like stories to teach lessons. You know, we've never really thought about them. like, well, what if these are actual literal stories? What if these things that we thought were gods were were extraterrestrials? You know, like the whole ancient alien type of theory. You know, that's cool, too, I think. I do, too. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if if they were confirmed to have been actual extraterrestrials because, uh, well, one of the hints is that back in 1952, Major General John Samford held the largest press conference uh, since the end of World War II 
Mm-hmm. This was held at the Pentagon after UFOs had been swarming over Washington, D.C. And what he told the press is that these things have been seen in our skies dating back to biblical times. He said they usually come back about one time each century. And here they are back during the 20th century. Um, This was 1952. And uh, they used to go away again, but they continued to remain here. And that the Air Force uh, was studying them very carefully. They weren't going to get too excited about it. They were doing this methodically. But, um, you know, I really latched on to his comment, they've been here since biblical times. And of course, you see all of the the artwork from the Vatican Mm -hmm. showing craft in the sky. Um, All of those uh, old stories too, and and pictures uh, from from India, from from France, uh, many of the early uh, paintings showing these of symbols and important things in, in the sky that leads us to believe that uh, flight was developed <laughs> on this planet long before uh, the, the Wright brothers came along. Apparently it was. Apparently we had a lot more technology at one point and it baffles me too why we lost it. Mm-hmm. You know, I like, like my, my co-host Jared Murphy, he thinks his theory is that we abused it, we, we wiped ourselves out, the remaining people, humans that were left to survive, he thinks that we, we either put ourselves or were put into safe mode so we couldn't repeat the same mistake again and we would come out of safe mode when we were ready. Well, if I were to uh, conjecture about that, I would say there was a period of environmental collapse on our planet in the ancient past and uh, many people died and we lost that technology people went back to living in caves people had Mm to hunt for food Uh, everything was lost and you know, think of what would happen to us today if all of a sudden we lost all those satellites. Those signals were gone. No computers, no televisions, no radios, um, no vehicles that would run. Uh, no, uh, so many things that we wouldn't have. We'd have to go back to being very primitive, the survivors who were left. So, I mean, it, it very well could have happened. Right. But the one thing I think, though, that did happen, we would still have the knowledge to recreate that technology at some point. So the the comeback would have been quicker. So to, to me, it seems like it was almost erased for a period of time. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's weird. But, There's sort of a, a hole there that I'm trying to fill. But did those people take off in spaceships and find that uh, new planet in a binary star system. Exactly. I, and that, that's one good theory. Absolutely. That? That, that, that may have happened, especially if this was originally a binary system to begin with that they were living in. Um, 
I also wonder, like, if there's another possibility is that that some of the ones that were holding the knowledge vibrated high enough to a point where they no longer needed physical bodies. Well, when you don't need physical bodies, that uh, tends to mean that you're ascending to a different dimension, unless you're within the earth plane mm -hmm. and uh, just lose that physical body on the earth plane. And so you're up there with uh, the, the earth spirits. But if you uh, ascend into ET uh, entities, then uh, I've, I've spoken with fifth and sixth dimensional entities who have bodies where they are. But I've also spoken to ninth dimensionals who have no need for bodies who don't, who are no longer in the physical. Uh, they say that at one time they were physical beings on this planet. In fact, one of them uh, lived in Egypt. Mm -hmm. But through the process of reincarnation over and over again, that individual has elevated spiritually to the ninth dimension. Hmm. That's where I want to go. They no longer require that. And this individual claims that he and his female counterpart, uh, who he says is his right side, uh, are here uh, to oversee this quadrant of the galaxy. It's hmm. a big responsibility. And God is ab above them. So he, they talk about uh, us all sharing a consciousness, yeah. one consciousness, and that there is a source consciousness, what we think of as God, at the very top of all of that. They're not um, up there because God is the creator mm -hmm. and no one else is capable of creation, only God. Wow. I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they tell me. You know, I, I've looked for answers for, for the past 10 years or so uh, since I learned that it, I could actually interview these uh, non-human entities wow. and check it against other information mm -hmm. um, by a scientist in the military uh, individual uh, dating back to 1954 who engaged in the same kind of experiments and found scientific evidence that that it was true yeah they were engaging with higher dimensional entities like, i don't doubt that we're definitely all part of the same consciousness i i definitely believe that mm -hmm. but at the same time then there's always that question like, well what created that consciousness or did it just always exist like you know it just <laughs> leads to more and more questions or can 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 like the single consciousness evolve into their own single consciousness and keep repeating the process? I don't know. It's just it's endless thought on that particular topic. I wonder about the same thing, and then I wonder if this is the god of this universe, yeah. and there are other universes with with another, you know, the prime consciousness at the top of of that universe as well. And then I wonder if 
we're just a cell <laughs> in the body mm-hmm. of a very large entity and that at one day that cell is just going to be sloughed off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've had that same thought, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, like, like maybe like we're like cells in part of a bigger body. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you use your imagination, you can probably come up with endless questions. Yeah. Um, so so uh, before we wrap it up, I want to thank you for coming on again. It's always a pleasure talking with you. My pleasure. And um, where where's the best place for my listeners uh, to locate you and to find your books? And you can go to... Kathleen with a K, K A T H L E E N dash Marden, M A R D E N dot com. Uh, for my website, you can purchase autographed copies of my books there. Uh, all of the books are available in all formats at Amazon and Barnes and Noble. All right. Well, we'll put a um, link in the notes to this episode to your website, and I'll also put a link to your books also. Um, okay. And, you know, I encourage my listeners to, to buy them and read them and and to also re- review them, put some reviews out there on them also, because they're absolutely incredible work books. And, um, you know, and I'm really appreciative of the work that you've been doing for all these years. Thank you. It's it has really been the joy of my life to um, do this scientific uh, investigation that's uh, spanned more than 30 years now. Awesome. Yeah, the world's going to benefit from it. It already is, I think. Mm-hmm. I believe so. I hope so. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> well, thank you. And hang on for one more moment. I just have to play the outro. Okay. Book Enlightenment Guarantee. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever.